Welcome back to the show. Joining me today, she's an entrepreneur, a mom, the founder of Tiny Troops Soccer, a military spouse that's empowering, empowering healthy families. It's Amy Schweizer. How are you doing today, Amy? Great, Ab. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, thank you for reaching out and letting us connect on LinkedIn. It's been a pleasure to learn more about you, and I'm excited to hear even more about your rise to the challenge. So like what we do with all of our guests, we'll start right at the beginning. Tell me about a little bit about yourself, what you were involved in, and where you're from. Sure. So I'm from Danville, Illinois. It's a small town um, about half hour east of where the University of Illinois is. And I have a background in um, nonprofit and sports, recreational sports, and professional sports as well. Um, I met my husband, my now husband. Um, he was a recruiter for the Marine Corps, and he happened to be at the job fair I was at for the Boys and Girls Club, and our tables were right next to each other. And um, a year later, instead of the plans that I had for my life, I was married to him and moved to Camp Pendleton, California. So um, that kind of kicked off my journey of rising to the challenge. So when you were younger growing up in Illinois, I'm actually from St. Louis. So okay, I'm okay. Mexican States. Did you have any passions or motivations or what were those goals that you were trying to set before a change and shift in your life? Yeah, so I was always career-minded. I always wanted to have a job in, I wanted to help people and be in sports. So my ideal job would be um, a community relations position with a pro sports team, and that's where I was headed. Um, so that's what I was working towards, and that was always my vision. I wasn't one who was um, like, oh, when I get older, I'm going to be married and have kids. You know, mine was, oh, I'm going to have this awesome career and my life set up. And if I happen to get a husband, great. He'll add to whatever I have going on, right? And kids are really far off in my picture. So um, that's kind of where, where my vision was. With community relations, were you part of any nonprofits helping out? Or did you participate in any events that dealt with community relations before? Yeah, so it's kind of a joke in my family. People say to my parents, did you, and I have one older brother, and they say, did you give, you know, feed your kids, like, eat your peas, do your community service, eat your peas, because we've just always been involved in the community. My parents have always been sport coaches for all the different rec leagues and youth leagues. Um, we've always been big in our church and volunteering. Um, I've been a big sister with Big Brothers, Big Sisters. We've all worked in Big Brothers, Big Sisters. We've all worked in Boys and Girls Club in Danville. Um, and even still to this day, my brother is actually the mayor of our hometown. So he's still doing his community service along with everything else the rest of us are doing. What kind of skills did you learn through being a part of those organizations? Man, one is empathy which, uh, you know, it's not a hard skill, but it's definitely a life skill that everyone needs because, um, you know, I had a decent middle class growing up. Um, and so it was really eye-opening just to see the different lifestyles and the different um, circumstances that kids have and different people have and how you never know what, you know, what's going on behind the doors. And so being on the back end of some of those nonprofits, I got to see those stories and I got to um, you know, get out of my own privileged head and say, hey, this is what's happening with other people. What can I do to help? You know, to whom much is given, much is required. So 
I've been given a lot. What can I do to help? I think everyone should have that opportunity to help out in any way. Mm -hmm. I found my calling with nonprofits when I was going to college and mm -hmm. I was part of a fraternity and I was the philanthropy chair for a few years. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big projects I was a part of was going to ALS patients house mm -hmm. and helping any way we can. And it kind of gives you a perspective of what are other people going through that have those conditions? And mm -hmm. for me, I wanted to do anything I could to go out there and help because the things we did, it put a smile on their face. It mm -hmm. made stress them out a little bit less because they didn't have to worry about that in the upcoming weeks. So we kept that going and we still sometimes stay in communications with those families because of how much of the impact we've made. With Big Brother, Little, Big Brother, Big Sister, what was that involvement and how did you get involved? Uh, my mom was actually di the director at the time. Um, and so I started, um, I think maybe my first year of college and I kept my little sister. Um, we, I think for at least six years, we still had, we had regular meetups. And then even now I'm able to kind of keep tabs now that she's a grown up and doing her own thing. So um, I, was heavily involved with that. And then I did volunteer there with like some admin staff at some point in time too. Um, at the Boys and Girls Club, I was the program director there. And so um, I was in charge of making sure all of our requirements for um, national criteria for National Boys and Girls Clubs of America, all that was met, creating all the programs, implementing them, managing the staff. So I've definitely had a hand in um, all aspects of it. Were you a person that liked to take on many roles within a company? So like with your position, you were doing bits and pieces in different areas. Did you enjoy that or was it kind of hard for you? I enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm a doer. I like to do, you know, like here's what needs done. Okay, here's what we're going to do. And I have my hands in everything. But I will say, Alex, as I've uh, grown up and as my hands are literally fuller with three little boys now, um, in my company, I'm not able to do all the things. And so um, I've definitely learned how to delegate and how to um, not only give tasks away, but give trust away with that uh, in control. So um, that's definitely something that's helped along the way is to learn how to delegate. Would you say for businesses that they need to kind of go into that strategy where they need to delegate and have that trust in their employees and not worry about micromanaging? I definitely think so, but I would also say it depends on where you're at in your business. So, uh, you know, in the first couple of years of my business, no one else would have been able to do it because it's all coming from my head and my ideas. And so, you know, I was the one who had to be doing the things until two and three and four a.m. for the first couple of years. But um, I think you have, there's a fine line of, of, when, of when you're just used to being in control and when you really need to give it to somebody else. So, you know, I got to a point where I was like, I can't keep doing this. I have my systems in place, which is really important. You have to have those systems in place to be able to pass off to somebody else. And of course, it's a work in progress. You've never had anyone else do it. So you think you've given them all the information and then they're like, well, how do you do this? And you're like, oh yeah, I didn't tell you that. So it's definitely a work in progress. Um, micromanaging is once you've gotten that trust in your staff, then you need to let it go. At first, um, as an entrepreneur, again, it's your business. No one's going to do it as well as you are. Um, so 
I probably micromanaged at first. Um, but again, there is a point where you have, when you bring on staff, you have to be able to trust what they're going to do, um, not only for them to have confidence, but also to clear your own plate and your own mental load to do the things you need to do. And I think with some businesses, with the bosses that they do micromanage, if they're stressing mm -hmm. out, then it kind of trickles down to the mm -hmm. uh, next level of employees mm -hmm. and now they start feeling stressed. And then it just starts not giving out the good results that they're looking for. Yeah, for sure. Talk about college. What was the process for you in going to college and where did you go? I feel like it's so long ago. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, so my undergrad, I did at Millican University in Decatur, Illinois. Um, and honestly, my brother had gone there. So it was just kind of, I sailed right in after him. Um, and I was also, I was in a sorority there at Tri Delta. I was on the soccer team, captain of the soccer team, um, involved in a lot of different things there. Um, great experience, probably, uh, I would say a lot of life lessons <laughs> learned during that time. Um, and then I took a semester off after that. And then I went, or maybe a year off after that. And then I went back to um, grad school at Illinois State University and got my master's in sport management there. Um, so throughout that, definitely um, met my best friends were actually headed for a girls weekend this weekend. <laughs> and all kids are staying home. Um, my best friends were my college team um, and had, a, again, a lot of good experiences. You talked about life lessons that you learned. What kind of life lessons did you learn during your college experience? Uh, well, I think self-control. That's a good one, right? So I came up, with, I came up in a pretty strict uh, family and um, not pretty strict, I'd say, but we had rules, you know, and it seemed to be a lot more rules than a lot of my friends had. So um, in college with that freedom came a lot of um, trial <laughs> and a lot of error that came with that too. A lot of trial, um, but you know, at some point, again, you have to learn how to use self-control. You have to learn time management because there's no one there doing that for you. Um, simple things that are crazy that I didn't know before, like banking on my own. Like I remember going to the bank with my parents, but I've never actually balanced a checkbook or did anything like that. So, um, you know, financial that I definitely grew that way. Um, and then again, just those treasured friendships, you know, and I still have my girlfriends from high school as well. And I still have a handful of those relationships, but um, you know, it's a different level. You're growing, you're maturing, you're becoming adults. So uh, people are getting married, you know, real adult things are happening. So uh, just kind of some of those things. I think the friendship is a huge thing. Like mm -hmm. I have my select few friends that I continue to talk to every day from mm -hmm. college. But even there's those friends that we could stop talking for a little bit, but we can pick it up right away. Mm -hmm. And that kind of shows the, the connection and the friendship we've built over the time. But a lot of times when people think of college, they think about those things like financing, banking, and time management, self-control, and all that, that college maybe doesn't really teach us. Like, we have to take all these classes, like science and math. Mm -hmm. so science, I don't really deal with um, in my job or yeah. when I'm doing this podcast, but it's kind of like, let us take the things that we need to know to become a better version of ourselves when we mm -hmm. get out into the real world. And I know from my experience, my mom actually helped me with banking and all that even before college. And I was one of those people, I saved money like crazy, but 
finance is now living on my own. It's always a topic that comes up in our phone calls that my mom and I have. So luckily we have the internet to help us (laughs) items. You mentioned you were on a team. What kind of team were you on? Uh, So I was on the soccer team at Millican University. And so I um, played there for four years. I was ended up being captain. I made an all-conference team. Um, and then after college, I actually went on to play with the Cincinnati Lady Hawks. They were in the Women's League of the USL. So I got to do that for a season, which was really cool and really different coming from, you know, being captain all-conference to being on a pro team. <laughs> so there's definitely a lot, of, a lot of lessons and painful growing during that season as well. So we kind of mentioned being the lead in a leader role. What kind of things did you take from being a leader and the captain of your soccer team that you use today? Definitely how I communicate with people. Um, and I still think to certain conversations today because I can be a very uh, direct and um, I'm making myself sound horrible, like unemotional person when it comes to this is what we have to do, getting it done, you know, and there's tasks. So there's not really gray areas for me. And so um, I learned that that's not how everyone communicates and that that's certainly not how everyone uh, accepts and appreciates communication and can understand communication. And so I learned that in order to lead a team of, you know, because I wasn't the boss, no one had to listen to me. So, you know, Uh, yes. Situation, so you know, I really needed to develop those relationships and within my team in order to be a good leader. And so I had to change my communication style. Even sometimes, Alex, it killed me. Like sometimes, I'm like, "Why do I have to say it? Before I break it down like this?" It, it was, honestly, it did. But um, now, looking back, like I said, that's something I carry with me to this day: is that I have to be mindful of how I'm communicating with people. Sometimes we people ask the question, sometimes a leader is not in a position that they're given. Sometimes mm-hmm. a leader comes out of nowhere and helps. And mm-hmm. sometimes when we do these podcasts, we learn something about ourselves that we may not have realized. Mm-hmm. And I know with me, I never had a president role or a manager role, but the way that my actions were, I came out as a leader and people could trust me in a way. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. looked up, even when I was at a young age, and I always use the story I for my job I went to Mississippi and I helped to start their whole lottery program and I'm this 24 year old going down there and everyone that's my co-workers are double my age mm-hmm. and but the way that they interact with me they think I have all this years of experience and I was able to lead a team and it just kind of shows the confidence and what we both have is we have that confidence yes there's some things that we may not want to do but we know if we're going to get the results, we're going to have to do it in a way. Definitely. When you went to play the season for the pro team, was mm-hmm. that your goal? Like, did you want to do that? Or it was the, a great opportunity that happened? It became my goal. I never thought it was attainable. But um, once it was and I realized there were tryouts that I could go to, I started putting in the work. I started doing a lot of one-on-ones with my teammates, um, with some of the guys from the guys team, a lot of training. So, and it was during my senior year of college that I was preparing for this. So I did miss out on a lot uh, because, you know, if you want to do things at a higher level, again, you have to put in the work that no one else is going to do, you know, to live the life that other people don't want. So 
or that other people want but don't want to put the work in for. So um, I definitely had to work hard in that um, in that season of life to get there. And again, it was once I got there, the challenge didn't stop. It was still it was a challenge every day, um, and the outcome wasn't. You know, I wasn't the star player. And again, when I, there were games I set the, the whole game, and I've literally never done that in my whole life. And so it was definitely a, a change of pace. Something we like to talk about is mindset. So with you being on the bench the whole entire, for a whole game, what was your mindset like? And how did you change it into a positive direction so that you may show the coach, I want to play, and I'm going to show you that I can? It was... I don't like this and I need to work harder. And so, and that, that's what I thought. And, um, first, the first realization was like, wow, this is what this feels like. And I again had empathy looking or sympathy looking back to games where, you know, I didn't quite take into account other people, you know, just didn't realize what other people may be feeling when they're not playing. And so anyhow, so I realized that. And then, like I said, it was more of, what do I need to do? And I think, you know, that's a make or break. Uh, there were people who quit because they didn't, you know, they weren't getting playing time. And so um, that definitely would have been the easy way and that would have been the more comfortable way. And, um, you know, I could have just bowed out at that point and not set for a majority of the season. But, um, you know, I continued to work hard. I continued to show up. I continued to be consistent. And I never became the star player. I did get to start a few times. I got playing time. But, um, again, it wasn't, you know, the highlight of my senior year of college like what my regular team was. So talk about the transition post-college. What was that first job that you had? So it was actually, like I said, Alex, you're taking me. I'm late. First job out of college. So I was actually at the Boys and Girls Club. I think that was my, that was my first job. So I was the program director. I came back to Danville, back to my hometown um, and after grad school. And that was my first job, program director at the Boys and Girls Club. In the meantime, I was still, um, I, I w- was there a year and then I, um, taught at the local college for a year as well. And so during that meantime, I was still trying to connect with pro teams. I'd actually set up some meetings with the Jacksonville Jaguars and had gone down there and scoped out some apartments and things. And um, lo and behold, again, I meet my husband or, you know, potential husband during that time. And um, our first date, you know, he's like, oh, well, I'm moving to California in a year. And I'm like, oh, great. Well, I'm moving to Jacksonville in a year. So we're like, sure, we'll just hang out in the meantime. And then it progresses. And at some point, I'm like, um, well, either either we're breaking up and both doing what we said, or we're getting married. And I don't really know which one. <laughs> so uh-huh. People are like, what are your plans? I'm like, well, we're breaking up or getting married. I don't really know right now. So, yeah. Was it hard for you to find a job in the sports industry? Or was Jacksonville one of the first ones that you found? So after being married and moving, that was, so that started the struggle for me. That that started the challenge because, um, you know, people, some people have said, well, you're marrying into the military. You know what that means. And you don't know what that means until you marry into the military. You know, maybe if you had a parent, you definitely have some idea, but still you don't know what it is being on the spouse side of things. And so um, I always say, yeah, I knew that I was giving up a job, but I didn't know I was giving up my career. 
And for a career-minded person, as I mentioned earlier, that was a very big issue. And so we got married, um, moved two weeks later to California, and then three months later, he deploys. So I'm, you know, away from my job or anything career prospects. I'm away from family, away from friends, and he's even gone. So that was a real struggle and a real transition, and it's a struggle for many military spouses. Um, and so that I couldn't even find a job, Alex, that was even comparable to what I would want to do, nor the money I was used to making. And um, yeah, so it was just, that was a bad, that was um, a very bad time. So the sports industry, most of the positions are near major cities. With military installations, they're usually not near uh, major cities. So that in itself, that aspect of marrying into the military cut my job prospects by 75%, just that alone. So yes, it was very difficult, near impossible really, to find the job I was wanting. I actually graduated from Lindenwood University with a sports management degree. And okay. the sports industry is definitely a battle. Um, mm -hmm. You have to basically start from the bottom, which is ticket sales. It's for most mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And ticket sales was not my thing. Like, I'm, I'm a person that I like to interact with people. I'm creative. I have full of ideas. So, like, marketing. I like the community relations aspect. And it was hard because you would apply but then you had 3,000 other people and it's thinking well what's on my resume that keep, makes me stand out so I knew I had to go into a different direction and make my way to sports eventually so mm -hmm. getting all the skills showing the or showing people that this is the experience this was all the opportunities I've taken mm -hmm. you made that move did you kind of have that in that mindset risk versus reward where you took that risk and you knew the reward wasn't going to be that job or you were happy that you found the love of your life and mm -hmm. it was worth it honestly Alex that's something I struggled with for a long time there was a lot of, we've been married just we just hit 10 years now and I was resentful for a long time and again that's a that's a problem throughout the military with military marriages because as a spouse, you are yanked out of your life and job prospects, and now you're, you know, following this guy, and that's the thing. You love him. You're not going to, you know, or your spouse, you're not going to divorce him just because of this, but it's a reckoning where you have to say, is he worth it? You know, is this life worth it, or am I going to go back? And honestly, there's a lot, um, military divorce rates are a lot higher than the regular divorce rate, and once I was in a marriage, I'm like, wow, I can see why, you know, there's a lot, not only is it marriage, which is hard enough on its own, but there's a lot of extra challenges that come with that. Um, and so, gosh, what was your original question, Alice? Like, when you, was it worth finding? Was it worth it? So yes, now I would definitely say it's worth it. Um, I have gotten to do a ton of awesome things that I would never have been able to experience. Um, and of course, being with my husband is worth it. You know, it's, it, again, it's, it wasn't easy. I'm not going to say, oh yes, hands down. It was great because that wasn't, you know, it's hard. It's not, and I had, I had to become okay with that. Looking back from the first year to congratulations on your 10 years together, what were kind of the things that made it better? 
like you found maybe, did you find like a group of people that you were able to talk to, a program, something that kind of said, I'm happy, but get, let's keep going and let's see what the world has for us. Yeah, so definitely friends. So again, I'm in this, in California, no nobody at that point and he's gone. So it was a neighbor who knocked on my door and she's like, hi, you know, I know we don't know each other, but we have this little potluck on Friday. So if you want to come, and I remember telling my friends and family, like, I don't want to go. I literally don't know these people at all. It'd be so awkward. And, um, but that's from that experience. And I, you know, I got my first military friends that way and my first good friends that we still chat now. And so in my support system that they became my support system. Um, and with friendships in the military, you, become close very quickly because they are a surrogate family and like you know i'm having a baby my husband's gone hey can you come to the hospital with me you know so it's like you get thrown into these um things that usually take years to grow in a friendship and you're but you're right there within six or you know you move somewhere and it's well can you um hi neighbor i know we've talked once i don't even know your last name but can you be my kid's emergency uh contact on school you know so you are in those relationships so that definitely the military spouse community that's one thing we do very well is support each other and um so without that I definitely would have said forget this I'm heading home like this isn't for me I can't make this work for families in the military is it usually like that where everyone is there for each other and like you said can you be my emergency contact for my kid is it that type of a group where you kind of feel that safety in everyone it is. It, for the majority, of course, you know, you have one-offs. That's, that, that, that's not the case. But for the majority, it is. And again, without that support, it would, um, things wouldn't work. And in the military, the pretty much the goal is to have a happy service member so that they're battle ready and ready, you know, in the right mindset to do whatever it is they need to do. And so the military as an organization within the last five years, I'd say, has really upped their family programming because they've realized, you know, that happy life, happy life, you know, it's kind of a generic term, but really kind of, it's kind of what they've realized that like, hey, if things aren't going well at home, that's going to translate into things not going well for him when he's away and not focused and all these things. And also, um, you know, with employment, which I'm sure we're getting to, that's a big thing too. And so that's really ramped up is that they're like, okay, we have spouses who have master's degree doctorates and have run businesses and own businesses and all, and they don't want to just sit home and do nothing. So, you know, we've got to kind of help them out here and with all this moving from state to state. And so, um, yeah. So talk about that employment side. You are the founder of Tiny Troop Soccer mm -hmm. and you also help military families. So how did you get involved in all? Or what was the timeline that you're like, this is the time I want to start this? Yeah, so we moved from California to Okinawa, Japan. And so while I was, so, you know, on a, especially on a foreign military base, your job prospects are even more limited than usual. And it depends on the SOFA agreement, which is the status of forces agreement that the United States has with their country as to if you can work, how that's going to work. So, so you have all these parameters that you're trying to work within anyhow. And so, um, I got over there and, um, I had my first little guy. I was pregnant with my second and there was another spouse who was coaching some soccer lessons. And she's like, Hey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, well, not really, but I ended up doing it one because there's 
as a parent, there was a lack of things to do for kiddos that age. And so I'm at home, you know, I'm going crazy. He's going crazy because there's nothing to do all day. And you're just there. And again, in a foreign country, you may not feel comfortable venturing out or whatever it is. You're kind of stuck at home. And so that was one reason that kiddos and parents needed something to do. Um, the second was because of the lack of employment. Again, it was so big to me. I, that was a void in me that I was missing. So finally I was like, sure, I'll, you know, I'll just do it. And so I, I, started doing the lessons and then it grew and grew and grew and then it turned into a business before I knew it where I had to start hiring other spouses which really um, ignited my passion for employing military spouses and so so far we've done we've employed over a hundred to date which is something I'm really proud of because again employment's hard to come by um, can be hard to come by so um, that kind, yeah that kind of spurred how tiny troop software got started What's a typical like season? Is it usually in the spring, summer for the soccer, or is it all year round you work with the kids? So um, typically in, in traditional rec leagues, you have a fall season and a spring season. But with us, with Tiny Troop Soccer, so we actually have monthly registration periods, and we do that for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because of the age of our kiddos, so our target market's two to five, so they're pretty young. A lot of times, this is their first any group activity so they really may not you know they really may not like it um, usually they get used to it but every once in a while it's just not for them right now so we want parents to have that flexibility and not be um you know committed to this three month three hundred dollar program where they're like you're gonna go you know you're two but you're doing this because we paid this money and so you know ours is super affordable it's for a month if you want to play in january but you take february and march off and come back in april then that's fine um, also, we do the monthly periods because most of our families are military and we, we can't plan things, you know, so I might be moving next month and so I'm missing registration at our next base and so now that means my kid has to sit out for the fall season or I'm going home for a month of leave and so I don't want to sign up for the season where we're going to miss a month of it and so we just don't get to play. So our goal at Tiny Troop Soccer is we want to be here. When you can play, you can play. If you want to play, we're here for you to play. You don't have to wait four months for this season or, you know, you don't have to miss out. We're here. You can play. So we go year-round in um, a course that varies between locations with winter breaks. Like, you know, East Coast takes winter breaks. Hawaii is going year-round. Florida gets too hot in August and July. So we take, you know, so we're off different places, different times, but it's a year-round program. That's a nice like system where mm -hmm. it basically gives the families control in a way where mm -hmm. they say, I, my kid can play during this month, maybe take a month off and mm -hmm. like it. And it kind of doesn't, it gives them not a commitment kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. A lot of times if the kid signs up for soccer, they have to take out three months or it's their whole mm -hmm. summer and yeah. they may not enjoy it after the first game. Mm -hmm. How many states are you in? Uh, we're in 14, 14 states and in Japan right now. That's awesome. What me when you're thinking about going into a certain state, what are the what's kind of the mindset or the strategy for it? Yeah, so we first look at um, usually so we have a list of all the bases in the different states. Um, then if typically we get hooked on a location because someone says, hey, I'm moving here. You guys don't have a program here. Will you start it? So we look into it that way. Um, so we factor in the um, family 
for a population or we're called dependents. So the dependent population of a base, because if it's, you know, a smaller base and it's less likely that we would be successful there. So we look at the dependent population. Um, we try to max out the states we're already in because of course each state has their legal fees and the taxes and stuff that we have to pay. So to maximize profit there, we try to maximize um, the states that we're, or try to fully utilize all the bases in the states that we're in. Um, we, and then from there, once we say, okay, we think this is gonna go, we put out feelers, um, typically in the Facebook groups for, for that area. Um, Facebook is huge in the military spouse community. That's how we all communicate and get our information. And so um, we'll put it out there, search for a coach, and then start the hiring process from there. With social media, how do you utilize social media? You mentioned the Facebook, mm -hmm. do you use other social medias, and do you even use LinkedIn? Yeah, so uh, Facebook has been our main one, and honestly, we just, I just hired on um, pre-COVID, <laughs> just right then, hired on a marketing person, which thank goodness that she kept us going through this time, but um, we, so I just hired on a marketing person. Prior to that, we were all Facebook business page. Um, we've finally upped our Instagram game. Again, I'm, I'm kind of out of the Instagram generation. I feel like my parents, when I talk about it, I'm like, I don't know what it is. So anyhow, we're finally in there, uh, up in that Instagram game, um, to reach more of our target markets. Our target markets, female, 25 to 44, but the primary is even 25 to 34. So, um, Instagram's big there. So I'm like, okay, someone needs to come in here that knows what they're doing with Instagram. So we've started utilizing that. Um, we've actually just recently started a Facebook parents group so that, um, so we still have the business page for, you know, just some information and stuff, but then we get more personal in that, in that parent group. Um, and then LinkedIn, I actually just, um, just the last, probably the last six months has started becoming active on that again. Um, you know, when it first came out, whenever that was, it was kind of like a boring resume, you know, not utilized thing. So I think I probably set up a profile 10 years ago, but never did anything with it. And then, you know, of course, recently it started vamping up and it's in order to make connections, you need to uh, be on LinkedIn. And so that's actually how you and I met uh, through there, through LinkedIn. And I've, I've made a lot of good connections through there. And I've um, had the opportunity to attend a lot of cool webinars and different things from people I've met on LinkedIn. So uh, I definitely think that people need to start getting that in their repertoire if they're wanting to uh, connect and progress in their field or in their career. I've had the similar situation with LinkedIn. I had to actually make my LinkedIn in a class. Didn't talk right, to right, for like yeah. three years. And yeah. then right when senior year in college, I'm like, oh, I better start updating this a little bit. And that's when I started trying to utilize it even more. But I would say... Fur or when I went through furlough with my company, I started using LinkedIn a lot more and I've been able to connect with so many great people like mm -hmm. yourselves and just learning about people. That's what I like about doing this podcast and using LinkedIn is I have to learn more about the person. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like, a, oh, I'm just looking for a job. It's more, what can you do to learn and grow as an individual any way possible? And maybe learn about a different industry. I may not know much about the sports based on what I know or gaming, all the different mm -hmm. industries, but I enjoy using LinkedIn all, all, as much as I can. I mean, I'm usually on it, checking it every day. <laughs> During this pandemic, has it played an effect with your company? 
Oh gosh, yeah. I, unfortunately, like everyone else, it well, like most most people. So um, we so we had started our sessions in March, and then we were had to abruptly stop within March. And so um, July is the first. Actually, this weekend we have I think about ten locations that were um, approved to get back on the field. And of course, we have our own return to play guidelines and. And it's a different structure than what we normally do in order to keep our kiddos safe. Um, but so, you know, we go from 35 locations running to 10 right now. And so um, it was definitely a hit economically for sure. Um, and um, I guess luckily most of my staff doesn't, re you know, it's not a huge influx of money for them. So it wasn't a huge hit to not have the session. So I, I guess we're lucky in that sense. Um, but, um, you know, for some of my admin staff that were used to getting a lot of hours and stuff, it, it was a hard hit. And we did try to pivot, you know, everyone's pivoting. Um, so we did, we did start online sessions, which, um, we found are really similar to in-person, except you're, you know, not actually in person. And um, some people say, well, my kiddo's so young, they're not going to sit there, you know, and the thing was, we, it wasn't just a recorded video, it was like you and I talking, so I'm talking to the kiddo and instructing them and giving them feedback. And, um, you know, just like on the field, you have some kiddos that are all into it, and some who are wandering picking flowers, so it's pretty similar experience, but um, that was one thing we took out of that is that that is now a permanent part of our programming and we've expanded our age groups to do um, individual work with, with older kids. So they usually, uh, you know, seven, eight, nines about the time where they start getting a little bit serious about a certain sport. And so um, with those sessions, we're able to give them immediate feedback. We do a little bit of conditioning. We go over some rules of the game. And so um, we, yeah, we've, it, it, it hit us hard and, I still would have rather to continue operating normal, but we did get something out of it. What does the future look like for Tiny Troop Soccer in the next few years? Gosh, well, as soon as we're back to normal, so if things are back to normal, <laughs> um, my goal actually was to grow, to open 20 sites this year. And so that's what we were on goal for. So we would have hit about 55 sites total. And so now I'm just, you know, no new sites. We're just trying to either get the regular ones back up and going. So um, if things are normal again, we would be growing by about 15, 20 sites a year. So in three years, you know, we'd be about at least 75 locations. That would be, you know, ideal. And we are um, near military base. So we're either on a military base, which we only have a handful of those, or just outside of the gates of it. We usually partner with a public park. Um, and so our sessions are open to anyone. Um, you know, of course it was military focused, but we welcome any kids. So at those off base locations, we can have anyone. So um, yeah, so we should, let me think for, I need to start thinking for because the other day I was like, this year is just gone business wise. I don't know what I'm doing. So yes, I need to think positively and forward. We should have about 75 sites in a few years. It's crazy how fast this year is going. And it's, it doesn't seem like much is happening because we're all been home or businesses have been up and going at full force. 
and it's kind of like you have to like take a moment and be like okay what what's my next plan right now like mm -hmm. we're, all, we're now seeing businesses getting up and going and it's kind of like you see the owners and founders they're kind of making those game plans and it sounds like you have that game plan going with you're making sure that the safety of the kids are the top priority and but they're still being able to get active and be out there on the field yeah and you know we of course are abiding by all those guidelines and that's why we only have you know 10 locations out and even so we're distance and again all all these lots of precautions but um one thing that benefited us is that we never have more than eight in one of our sessions anyhow so we already have that small group and the outdoors you know that's helping us too we're outdoors we're not in an enclosed space by any means so that's one one thing that's actually helping us to move forward where a lot of other places businesses aren't able to so we talked about earlier that your dream was to be in community, community relations and sports. Do you look at what you're doing now as you're kind of fitting that goal of yours? Yeah, and it's funny. It, so it's certainly not what I thought it would be, right? Not what I looked at, but definitely, um, you know, the military community is an under underprivileged community, and a lot of people don't see it that way or think of it that way, but... Um, you know, particularly our kiddos, they go through a lot of, a lot of emotional um, and mental challenges, you know, having, like right now my husband's deployed, so my three boys, you know, this, and this is not the first time this has happened, you know, so they have to go through daddy being gone, and as they get older, the, the real questions start, well, is daddy coming back, could daddy be killed, you know, these serious things, so they have a lot of stuff going on. Not only are they not living by their family anymore, so Grammy's not around, you know, they know Grammy through Skype or FaceTime, um, you know, they don't know extended family that well, like each time we come back, I'm like, remember, these are your cousins so-and-so, and they're like, oh, I don't remember who they are, so there's so much emotional baggage and emotional things that get put on our kiddos, so I feel like it's so important for them to have this physical outlet that, um, of course, physical physical activity boosts mental, um, you know, mental wellness as well. So, and as we've been able to expand, that's one thing I've absolutely loved. And we've heard a ton of good stories where, um, you know, I can say, oh, guess what? Well, I know you're moving, but coach Alex, he's there and you're going to love him and you're going to have so much fun. So it's something that they um, can look forward to, you know? And so it's, it's one constant thing in their ever-changing world. So it's, you know, they know that they're going to go and see a coach in a blue shirt on Soccer Island and things are going to be okay with them. For what does the future look like for you in the next few years? What are you hoping to accomplish yourself and something that you want to rise to the challenge in? That's actually, I'm, I'm just in the process of figuring all that out, Alex, um, because my husband should be retiring in the next two to five years. And so at one point I'm like, you know, my career's over. Like you said, the sports world is very competitive. And so I'm like, well, my, my career's over in that sense. And, but now that he, um, you know, is that we're getting closer to his retirement, then it's kind of like the shift's going to happen where my job can take priority. And so I'm like, Hey, well maybe I can get back into some of the things. And so actually through LinkedIn, I've been being very uh, conscientious about not conscientious, very, um, direct. I don't know. I'm thinking. Anything, <laughs> I can't think of the word, but, um, very, 
whatever to make connections via LinkedIn so that, you know, maybe in two years when it gets out, that could be a possibility. And so, um, so to answer your question, I'm hoping to get into the pro sports world still. Um, and so we'll see. So that's where I'm hoping to be. If you made that transition into that new career, are you able to say, I can let what you have right now with Tiny Troop Soccer go, or it's still going to be a part of your life no matter what? Yeah, no, it, I'll still keep it around. <laughs> now, I may um, delegate even more or maybe even let go of some control of it. However, I'll still have a hand in it. Has your husband played a part in it? Does he help you with ideas that you have? Or is his focus more on the military side? And like you said earlier, you're trying to keep it stress-free. So his mindset is focused on the job at hand. Yeah. Well, so the military tries to keep it stress-free. <laughs> we have a regular marriage. So um, I, that's not necessarily my focus for him. But um, so mainly, no, he doesn't really have a hand in the business, but he does. Do, he actually came up with the name. So I guess that's a pretty big pretty big thing um and then he does a lot of uh like he's an excel guru so when i'm like hey i need this report done or so he's able to whip those up for me so he does help in that way um but i'm i'm excited for him to not be um committed to a very you know unpredictable scheduled job so that he can be the one kind of hanging out at home at 5 p.m and i can do what i need to do he can be the dad mom now yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mom can go on a vacation or a spa after the hard work. <laughs> yes, exactly. So something we like to do at the end is just do little recaps. So for someone that's going through the situation as a military spouse, mm -hmm. what tips or advice would you give them to rise to the challenge and help them make it more comfortable for them? Definitely get that support group. So um, again, that first interaction I had was the thing that has stuck with me and helped me in other situations be uncomfortable and just, hi, I'm Amy and you want to go to lunch today? <laughs> you know, like things you would never do. Um, but so it's definitely helped me be more outgoing and um, being more comfortable being outside the box. So don't be afraid to go to that spouse social, even though you don't know anybody. Or don't be afraid to accept an invitation for coffee, even though you don't know that person. Um, it, the isolation from your family and probably from your spouse, if they're gone, can be very heavy. And so um, you have to. You have to be conscious and make the effort to get that support system. Um, so that's one thing. The other job-wise is I always say don't accept no for an answer. Um, so within the military, uh, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations. And so depending on who you talk to that day, they may say, oh, no, you can't do that on base. Well, you could call back the next day and talk to someone else and they say, oh, I think this is a great idea. You should do it. So, you know, be persistent. Of course, always be respectful, but be persistent. Um, and, you know, think outside of the box with that too. So if they tell you no, well, why is that a no? Okay, well, what could I do to do it, to make this a yes? Or if they don't have a reason, you come up with, come up with how this could be a yes and see how this works and this fits into all these rules and look at this great idea I have, you know? So just um, don't be afraid to be persistent, even though, you know, it can be intimidating with the military. Don't be afraid to be persistent. 
for someone that's becoming an entrepreneur like yourself, what tips or advice would you give them to rise to the challenge and go for what they want? Yeah. Um, for that, I would say don't, so there's this quote I love that says, um, don't let a, I think it's don't let a dream pass. The time's going to pass anyways, or something to that effect. You, you don't have to quote me, but um, you know, time's passing anyway. So you may as well work on it. And like me, maybe 20 years later, I'll see my dream come to fruition. Maybe, you know, but, but you don't have to give up on it and still do the things that, still make the steps that are going to possibly get you to where you're going to be because you never know what's going to happen. So the time's going to pass anyways. You might as well do it um, focused on that career, on where you want to go. Um, also, again, delegate. You know, don't don't wait till the last minute when you're drowning to delegate. There's a lot of, um, you know, like Upwork. That's a, a site that I've actually used myself. Like, hey, there's, this is something I don't know how to do or I don't have time to do and I don't have a huge budget because entrepreneurs do not have huge budgets. So, um, you know, utilize those places like Upwork. And that is a legit site, by the way. I've used it as a contractor working and as people working for me. So um, delegate. I think something that both you and I can relate to is we're both finding eventually that career that we want. We both want to do something in the same industry and we're both taking different paths. Like it may be a, it may be going slow or it go fast, but we know that with our dedication and our driven mindset that we are going to get there. And then we can't wait to see what the future is like for us. The final question I have is for someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give them to rise to the challenge, to overcome obstacles and accomplish their goals based on your experience? I would say, I think the being persistent is again, the thing. And that's being persistent in your actions, but also um, in your mentality. You know, it's easy you know, at times I felt like this is never going to happen. This, you know, this is my life. I, I never know if I'm going to be living here or there. I'm not in a big city. Like, there's no way this is going to happen. So just forget about it. But I had, you know, I had to keep in mind that, again, like creating tiny troops. That wasn't what I wanted, you know, what I pictured. However, it still kept me in my field, got me a job, and now could possibly boost to where I need, you know, where I want it to go. And so being persistent in doing something that's related to where you want to go, as well as being persistent in staying on top of your thoughts in your uh, thought process, I think is important. Well, Amy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us your rise to the challenge. I've enjoyed learning more about you and your journey and how you've been able to overcome the obstacles and you've learned more about yourself every day. And I want to thank you for coming on to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. It was a good time. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Make sure you follow and subscribe on all audio platforms and also make sure you subscribe and like our videos on YouTube. What path are you going to take to accomplish your goals? You decide.